Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, even though when we asked our Facebook fans, our listeners, a little while ago, whether or not... They desired an Academy Awards podcast. And we received mixed results. Mixed is putting it nicely. Yes, it was it's, it was a very polarizing question. Yeah. People were either gung-ho about the Academy Awards or gung-no. Uh. I'm sorry. About the Academy Awards thing. <laughs> Why would we waste our time talking about an awards show? It's Hollywood. It's baloney. Well, naysayers, we're bringing you... <laughs> Our Academy Awards show, but it has uh, a pretty good point, I think. Right. Well, because we're also still in Black History Month. That's right. And so we want to talk about all of the amazing uh, trailblazers, uh, African-American women on film, on screen, behind the camera. Yeah. And at the Oscars, even though when it comes to black women on film and at the Oscars, it's more of a legacy of a lack of representation. Right. Um, but first, since the Oscars are happening this Sunday, if you're listening to this podcast when it comes out, uh, the Oscars are on Sunday, February 24th, and there are some possible history makers, starting off with nine-year-old Quivenzene Wallace. Yeah, she's making history as the youngest Best Actress Oscar nominee for the role in Beasts of the Southern Wild, which I hate to say I haven't seen yet. I keep meaning to go see. I've not seen it as well. Um, she plays Hush Puppy. And I hear that it's uh, it's a pretty intense film. And if she does win for Best Actress, though, she would only be the second black female to win in that category. The only other black woman to win Best Actress at the Oscars was Halle Berry for her role in Monsters Ball in 2001. 2001. Jinx. Jinx. Um, And even though we're not talking about the dudes, let's go ahead and acknowledge the fact that Denzel Washington is also up for Best Actor in Flight. And with his nomination, his sixth, he's the most nominated black actor in Oscar history, and he'd be the first Guy to win uh, two Best Actors, I believe, among black actors. So things to watch out for at the Academy Awards. Um, but who was the first? Let's go back in Academy history. Because we mentioned... Because Quivenzene would only be the second black woman to ever win for Best Actress, as we mentioned. Um, and when we go through the timeline of... Black female winners at the Oscars, it's a pretty truncated timeline. Yeah, so going back to Gone with the Wind, Hattie McDaniel was the first black woman to win an Oscar. She played the role of the maid, the mammy in in that movie. And she actually spent the rest of her career essentially reprising her maid role before starring in the series Beulah. She actually, um, just her career just never picked up after that. Yeah, even though we might think that, you know, it's an it's an awesome thing. Hey, it's the first uh, black actor to win an Oscar. But she was actually criticized by the NAACP for even taking the role of Mammy because, uh, you know, of its racist portrayal, essentially, and playing into that, uh, you know, black character as uh, subservient to white characters. And like you said, Caroline, 
she only she just got stuck playing right. maids over and over again. And even with her last major film, The Big Wheel, starring Mickey Rooney in 1949, she played yet again a maid. Well, but to the criticism from the NAACP, she actually said, you know, I could get $700 a week to play a maid or I could be paid $7 a week to be a maid. And even though, uh, you know, Hollywood sources will say that McDaniel was well respected among other leading Hollywood actors at the time, uh, she still, because of getting pigeonholed in that role and, and marginalized, essentially, she ended up dying alone and in debt at 57. So things kick off on kind of a low note. Um, and then in 1949, this is a nomination she didn't win, but Ethel Waters was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for her role in the movie Pinky. And yet again, she plays kind of the mentoring servant to a wealthier white female character. Right. So moving forward, we have Dorothy Dandridge, who's definitely more of a, a household name. She she really made a name for herself coming up through the nightclub scene, which eventually led her to gigs in New York, Paris, and television. But she actually also became the first black woman to perform at the Waldorf Astoria during this time. Um, but this all led to uh, the lead role in MGM's all-black production of Bright Road, which is based on a young teacher's life in the South. And this popularity that she achieved um, in the 40s uh, led her to campaign for the lead role in Carmen Jones, which is sort of the stuff of, of legend, movie legend. Yeah, Carmen Jones, um, as you might assume, is, was based off a musical based off of the opera Carmen and Dandridge for her role as Carmen Jones received the very first nomination for a black actress uh, for best actress at the Academy Awards and this is in 1954 and I uh, Carmen Jones is on Netflix right now Caroline there we go and so while I was cooking dinner the other night I watched Carmen Jones and my goodness Every other word is a musical <laughs> song, which is nice if you like musicals. Um, but, uh, Dandridge is incredible. She, as soon as she pops on the screen, she, you, you can't, you really can't look away from her. And, uh, she once said that, quote, if I were white, I would capture the world. And at the time, she was often described as the black Marilyn Monroe and wearing her iconic Carmen Jones outfit. She graced the cover of Life magazine. She was the first black woman to ever do that. And even though she did not win that Best Actress Oscar in 1954, I mean, but for, for a moment, though, let's consider who she was up against. Uh, Judy Garland in A Star is Born, Audrey Hepburn in Sabrina, Jane Wyman in Magnificent Obsession, and Grace Kelly in The Country Girl. And surprise, surprise, out of all of those, who wins? Grace Kelly. Well, uh, Dandridge pointed out several times just her disappointment with, you know, the whole system because she was considered... Uh, you know, beautiful, a great actress, very passionate in her roles that she took on. And yet there was this whole perception that she was so beautiful. There was a danger of pairing her up with a leading, a white leading man, Mm -hmm. because then that interracial relationship was was too much for audiences. Oh, absolutely. And off screen. And this is coming from an article over at the hairpin by Anne Helen Peterson about uh, Dandridge's Hollywood legacy. Um, she talked about how off screen she did date white actors and producers and it was, she was demonized for it because at the time, as you can imagine, interracial uh, relationships, um, were still 
a, a big taboo. And even though in Carmen Jones, she uh, is opposite leading man Harry Belafonte, who, like, if only just to see him in that movie, I recommend you watch Carmen Jones. <laughs> kind of had to, had to take a moment, a little break while I was cooking just <sighs> to stare at my laptop screen. But anyway, um, it was a big deal to show Belafonte and Dangerous' romantic relationship on screen in this larger Hollywood production because even depicting a passionate relationship between a black couple mm-hmm. was a huge thing in Hollywood because a, a lot of times, even uh, you know, if you did depict any kind of romance with black characters, it was it was sort of uh, you know a, a little bit hokey and just kind of kind of silly, like pecks on the cheek and stuff like that. Yeah, well, much like Hattie McDaniel, who we uh, just discussed. Uh, Dandridge's career fizzled, unfortunately. The roles just weren't coming in for her like she had hoped. And in 1965, at the age of 42, Dandridge OD'd on antidepressants. Yeah, so, and, and this is something that we see over and over again where these actresses are able to achieve fame up to a point. Mm-hmm. And then the roles just disappear unless they fit into these kind of tropey characters of the maid or the bombshell or right. the sassy finger wagging friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's go on to some more Oscar winners. Unfortunately, we have to jump from 1954 to 1991 to Ms. Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, she won an Oscar for her role in Ghost, which is still one of my favorite movies. I've never seen it. Really? Really. That's okay. I I mean, I admitted that I've never been to New Orleans, so we all have things. It's true. Um, but she, she achieved the coveted EGOT. She has an Emmy, a Grammy, and a Tony in addition to her Oscar. And unfortunately, she's made the announcement, uh, well, this was back in 2007, that she was retiring from acting because she was no longer receiving scripts. Yeah. And, and yet again, the roles just start to dry up. Um, and then when we move to 2001, as we mentioned, Halle Berry became the first black actress to receive the Best Actress Award for a role in Monster's Ball. And sort of like Hattie McDaniel, she did receive some flack from critics who were not fond of the relationship in the film with uh, Billy Bob Thornton's character, who was a blatant racist. And there was also this pretty intense sex scene, and people were like, God, I don't know if this is really worth celebrating all that much. And and like these other actresses, since Halle Berry took home that Oscar, that history-making Oscar, she's played Catwoman, an X-Men. An <laughs> Halle X-Men. X-Men. Uh, you know, uh, even though I love... X-Men. X-Men. Um, but basically, the the moral of the story is, yet again, she's just kind of not getting these amazing roles. Or very, very complex roles, we'll put it that way. Yeah, well, Jennifer Hudson of uh, American Idol fame went on to win an Oscar uh, for her role in... Dream Girls. Dream Girls. There it is. I kept wanting to say Showgirls, but that is definitely so different. Inaccurate. Uh, she became the youngest black actor to ever win an Oscar, finally making the leap to leading lady in a biopic about Winnie Mandela recently. But unfortunately, the movie hasn't found a U.S. distributor. So she is also part of what a few bloggers have referred to as this this Oscar curse for mm-hmm. African-American actresses. Um, yeah. And then in 2010, Monique wins Best Supporting Actress for her role in Precious. 
And then in 2012, Octavia Spencer brings home the fifth best supporting Oscar given to a black actress for her role in The Help, which again, critics were saying, oh, wow, what do you know? Yeah, well, there was the whole argument of like, is Minnie, that character, really that far from Mammy, mm-hmm. Hattie McDaniel's character? Like, yes, it's it's maybe a richer role. It's more multifaceted, but is it really making any great strides? Yeah, does it say that much that, you know, obviously it's the, it's the roles that they're being offered. Um, for instance, Viola Davis, who was nominated first for her, her role in Doubt, and she was also nominated for her role in The Help, was talking to Essence Magazine about The Help. Quote, of course I had trepidations. Why do I have to play the mammy? But you do what you do as an actor if one of the most multifaceted and rich roles you've ever been given is a maid in 1962 Mississippi. Yeah, well, this actually led Spencer, this this same uh, sentiment led uh, Octavia Spencer to say, yeah, I want to be a producer. I want to be an activist. I want to be proactive in bringing about work for men, women, boys, girls, everybody who is good at what they do and deserve a shot at it. So that whole that whole notion of, okay, well, you know what? These leading lady roles are just not coming my way or, you know, it's just stereotypes coming my way. So maybe it's time that I get behind the camera or start funding films. Right. Um, and some have said that because Octavia Spencer brings such a rich resume with her already to that Oscar win that she had in 2012, that she will probably have a lot better luck branching out, um, even though I, I will say I, I, I did very much enjoy seeing her on 30 Rock in this in its last season. She had a couple of cameos in there and, and was <laughs> hilarious. Um, but all of this, yeah, does point to the question of whether or not there is, as you mentioned earlier, Caroline, some kind of Oscar curse for actresses in general, if not especially for black actresses, because it seems like you get the big win and then work dries up. Well, it seems uh, interesting and unfortunate that there aren't more of those multifaceted roles for African-American women. I mean, there are just aren't that many leading lady roles out there the way there would be for like a Meryl Streep or a Nicole Kidman. Um, there tend to be these three main depictions of black women on screen that that women are, are pigeonholed into. And those are Mammies, Sapphires and Jezebels. And this is coming from uh, the Women's Studies Encyclopedia. K. Sue Jewell uh, spelled out these different uh, three characters. And she said that black women have historically worked as domestics, mammies, been strong and assertive, a sapphire, and been forced into sexual servitude, the Jezebel character. And it's these kernels of truth, she says, that makes these images so insidious and plausible, but they're a distortion of black women's positive attributes, she says. Right, because they only, they, they take these tiny aspects and, and caricatures and just blow them up really just to serve as foils for other and often white, stronger characters. I mean, I don't think that we need to go into detail describing, uh, you know, the, the whole mammy stereotype. Um, you know, it's the happy domestic worker, which is, you know, it's often portrayed as someone who is very giving emotionally, um, but doesn't re- expect anything in return at all. They're just kind of these empty vessels who are sitting there. And then the sapphire is the strong and the sassy. And I didn't realize this. It was first popularized in the 1940s with the Amos and Andy show, 
by the wife of the character, Kingfish. And then going on to the Jezebel, I feel like Carmen Jones, Dorothy Dangerous character um, in Carmen Jones, really uh, sums up the Jezebel. She's the fiery bombshell. She's the dangerous one. Her sexuality will inevitably get you in trouble. She's a honeypot. But at the same time, there's also a servitude aspect to that mm-hmm. as well because she'll do anything to you know get the the man that she wants and yet people are comfortable seeing that though right because that's such a common stereotype it's like okay well this makes sense in my brain mm-hmm. because here's a black woman who is this Jezebel character that makes sense having a black character back then just be a leading lady in the way that Grace Kelly was that didn't quite compute for a lot of white audiences. Right. And it has to do a lot with, you know, the like black attractive women being exoticized mm-hmm. and eroticized in ways that white women have not been. And because of that, Helen Tierney goes on to talk about how the Jezebel is a culturally approved victim of sexual assault. Right. And this ties into earlier uh, roles in Dandridge's career because um, she, you know, when she was coming up through the nightclub, she started to get offers for bit parts in movies. But that meant really compromising her principles and playing roles like the Jungle Queen in the mm-hmm. movie Tarzan's Peril. And this was another typical role of the time. It, it sort of goes along with the Jezebel. It's that role of the exotic, uh, you know, tying black women and men in with the jungle and with animalistic tendencies. Yeah, because if you look at Hollywood in the 1930s, all of the roles for black women really fit into the mammy. But then once you get into pre-60s, 19 Hollywood, then you have more of the transition into the Jezebel. And in African-American Actresses Struggle for Visibility, a book by Charlene Register, um, she talks about how that function of black actresses was, quote, by contrast in language, costume, and behavior to illuminate or aggrandize the virtue, beauty, morality, sexuality, sophistication, and other qualities embedded in the whiteness of the white female actress or character, almost like a shadow self of the white other. Yeah. So no wonder they're not, you know, a, a ton of wonderfully rich and complex roles for black actresses. And the thing is, the history hasn't changed all that much today. But I wonder if it might, we might see that dial shift if we see more women of color behind the screen. Right. Well, there are there are some up and comers and some trailblazers before them uh, garnering a lot of attention. Um, Ariel Leon for Clutch Magazine wrote about some young black women influencing film. And just a couple of them, for instance, there's Ava DuVernay, who is a director and founder of the African-American Film Festival releasing movement which releases independent African-American films through simultaneous screenings in selected cities. There's Nikki Atu-Jusu, who's actually Kristen, an Atlanta native. And she's a young writer and director who's already received a Director's Guild Honorable Mention, an HBO Short Film Award, and a JT3 Artist Award for her short film, African Booty Scratcher. Then there's Dee Rees, who's attracted a lot of attention. She's a writer-director of the film Pariah, which is a black lesbian coming-of-age film that premiered at Sundance in 2011. And she's also gone on to write and direct several short films. So there are a lot of women coming up through the ranks, a lot of young uh, directors and producers who are getting behind the camera. Yeah, and there have already been some you know, some trailblazers before them. Uh, IndieWire listed 10 trailblazing directors. And I did not know this, but Maya Angelou was the first black woman to have a feature film screenplay 
produced. It was in 1972. It was Georgia, Georgia. But Angelou hated the production mm-hmm. so much, she remade it herself, uh, I think, 20 years later. Um, and then, but, but still, listen to this. Okay. Angela Robinson is the highest grossing black female director in history mm-hmm. for the film. Wait for it. Herbie Fully Loaded. So, okay. There's a whole range. Yes, there, there, there's definitely a range. I mean, you also have people like, did you mention, I don't think that you mentioned uh, Darnell Martin, who was the Mm-mm. first African-American woman to write and direct for a major studio, and that was in 1994, with I Like It Like That, coming out of Columbia Pictures. And she later directed Cadillac Records as well. Oh, and also, for film buffs out there, Usain Palsy was not only the first woman to be produced by a major Hollywood studio, but she was also the only woman to ever direct Marlon Brando. Yeah, he came out of retirement. Yeah, for for her. 1989's A Dry White Season. So if you're going to trivia anytime soon, you can tuck that little nugget away. Um, But there's been so much commentary this season about Catherine Bigelow, who was the first woman to take home the Best Director Oscar for The Hurt Locker and how she was not nominated this year for Zero Dark Thirty. But once I started reading about, you know, women of color behind the camera, oh, wow. I mean, it's like they're being completely overlooked in a lot of ways, it seems like. Yeah. Well, there was Gina Prince-Bythewood, who actually stormed the Independent Spirit Awards a couple years ago. Her 2000 film Love and Basketball was a huge success and earned her best first screenplay. At the time, it was one of the largest scale and most high-profile projects undertaken by a black woman. And she went on to adapt The Secret Life of Bees. That book for uh, for the screen and which grossed forty million dollars worldwide. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's not like there is a dearth of talent out mm-hmm. there, whether it's behind or in front of the camera. I mean, there are plenty of actresses that we haven't talked about. Uh, Carrie Washington comes to mind. She was in uh, Django and is also in uh, Scandal on on TV right now. Which she's the first black woman to star in a network series in thirty nine years. Yeah, I mean, and if that isn't saying something, I mean, right. that's that's small screen. But still, it's taken us so long to make any kind of progress whatsoever. And and when it comes to film, I mean, this is part of a, a larger question of whether or not it's Hollywood's woman problem. You know, the whole Oscar curse doesn't just stop with black actresses. Mm-hmm. There's a question of whether or not, you know, it happens, you know, because it seems like it has, for white actresses as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I mean, we've we've covered a lot of ground, Kristen. We've obviously, we've glossed over a lot. There are a lot of black actresses, directors, producers who we have not mentioned. Lena Horne. Lena Horne. One of the first. She was not, she was never nominated for an Oscar, but she was certainly, you know, one of, if not the first mainstream uh, black entertainer on, on screen. Right, who also struggled with a lot of the same things that Dandridge did mm-hmm. as far as you know, being beautiful and talented, but oh, but you're still black. And, and mar- yeah, mm. marginalized. It was funny because uh, she was super popular during World War Two, you know, during the pinup era. And she was saying that black soldiers couldn't couldn't pin up Betty Grable, you know, right. the, the white pinup. They were like, she was like, so, you know, I benefited <laughs> from that. I was, you know, all over all over soldiers tents. Where, where would you pin the lockers walls? Suitcases. I don't know. Um, well, anyway, yeah, fingers crossed for Quivenzene, uh, and I need to put that on my, her movie on my to watch list for sure. Yes, I would, I would really like to see, you know, a, a best actress 
award go to a woman of color finally because it seems like best supporting just keeps you know going in that direction but there needs to be more recognition right so yeah even though we certainly have not mentioned every notable name that we could have uh i hope that we have offered a you know an, a, a digestible history right and maybe inspire people to check out some movies they haven't seen yeah dorothy dandridge Check check her out and and read that. Go over to the hairpin um, and 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 type in her name to read that article because it is fascinating and simultaneously depressing. If you do have Netflix, go check out Carmen Jones as well, especially if you like musicals and H- Harry Belafonte. Mm-hmm. Whew! Don't get me don't get me started. <laughs> so with that, uh, if you have any Oscar related letters to send us. Write to us, momstuff at discovery.com is where you can do it, or you can also go to Facebook as well. Shoot us a message, like us while you're at it. Well, Caroline, I've got a letter here from Sally in response to our episode on tomboys. And she said that uh, while my parents love my sister and I very much, deep down they both wish that they had tried for a third child in the hopes of having a son. And as a result... They, uh, you know, she, her sister, she and her sister were, were pretty tomboyish growing up. She said that we were encouraged to play sports from a young age, spent many summer evenings playing wiffle ball or frisbee in the backyard with dad. We also inherited our father's Hot Wheels collection from when he was a kid and loved making the cars crash on the track. But then things take a little bit of a funny term. So, she says, I think my dad was pretty convinced that he could keep his tomboys forever, but alas, puberty finally hit, and he was reminded that he definitely had daughters. There were a few lonely years for our dad when my sister also hit puberty, but then something miraculous happened. I started to date. While most fathers cringe at the thought of their daughter bringing home a boy, my dad loved it. Finally, there are men in the house to talk about manly things. My father has always been very open and friendly with our boyfriends and would often be devastated when we broke up with them. He doesn't need to worry about that so much now that I'm engaged, but my parents have started to request that when we eventually have kids, they would strongly prefer grandsons. I know they would love a granddaughter just as much, but she will definitely be encouraged to be a tomboy, just as my sister and I were. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I, I cannot imagine my father being heartbroken over, over me parting ways with a fella. Huh. That's yeah. funny. My dad doesn't have really any opinions on my dating life, so he might not even notice. Hot Chad. Hot Chad. Okay, well, this is from Julie on our uh, gym podcast, our, our fitness episodes. She says, although it sure does date me, I am a product of the Jack LaLanne TV era. When I was in elementary school in the mid-1960s, I did exercises every morning before I went to school with Jack LaLanne on TV. My mom, too. I was then involved in sports and fitness my entire life, competed in college, and at 52 years old, and as an 8th grade language arts teacher, I still coach four sports a year, shorter seasons than high school. I still run with my cross-country and track athletes and do drills with my volleyball and basketball players. My husband and I belong to the local YMCA, and I compete in three triathlons a year and one endurance swim. Jeez. She says the thank you goes to Jack LaLanne. She also uh, goes on to talk about her gym and says, My why is an excellent mix, mix of men and women, and I like it much better than the regular gym I used to belong to. 
And I have a feeling that I agree with her. That was my why experience in Augusta. So thank you, Julie. Yes, thank you, Julie, for making me feel incredibly lazy <laughs> in comparison. <laughs> yeah, I have three, three triathlons. I'm sweating just thinking about it. Yeah. Sitting here. Nervous sweat. Well, thanks to everyone who has written into momstuff at discovery.com. You can also find us on Facebook messages there. Start a conversation. You can tweet us at momstuff podcast. You can also follow us on Tumblr at stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com. And if you would like to get smarter this week, you know where to go. It's to our website, howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 